Merry Christmas, everybody. If you're a guest, my name is Brian Carlucci, and I want to give you a special welcome from our whole community here at Cornerstone. We know there are a lot of out of town friends and family here tonight, and even people visiting from the Boulder area. We just want you to know you're welcome here at Cornerstone. And then a special greeting to our Cornerstone family that's here tonight and uh, watching online. We're, uh, we love you, and it's great to be together. I want to mention just a couple things before I jump in the message. If you show up to church the next two Sundays, tomorrow and January 1st, you will be here by yourself, all right? So we will not be meeting together again till January 8th, but we will be sending a short New Year's Eve message out. It'll show up in your inbox that morning, um, but we, we hope to see you again on January 8th when we start a new series on prayer. Tonight, I'd like to start by sharing some of the thoughts of one of my favorite authors and speakers. Her name is Joni Erickson Tata. And many of you know of her. She's most well known for being a quadriplegic, unfortunately. She had a diving accident when she was a teenager, and that has left her paralyzed the rest of her life from uh, the neck down, forever in a wheelchair, completely physically disabled. After this tragic event, something occurred in her life, and she had an experience with God as she describes it, and she changed the direction of her life. And ever since then, she's lived a dedicated life to the support and care of people just like her, people who have experienced tragic accidents that have left them disabled or people who were born in that way. And what she does is she comes with a message of hope and vision because often people feel like their life is over, their future is gone, there is no joy, there is no purpose in front of them, and she reminds them that is not true. And one of the things I'll never forget from her teaching is when she teaches on the subject of heaven. She said that people are often surprised by her answer to the question of what is it that you're most looking forward to when you make it to heaven someday? In other words, what are you longing for the most? And she said, I'm surprised. People are surprised at my answer. They expect me to say, I'm looking forward to being able to use my hands and my arms. And I'm looking forward to being able to use my legs and to, to run and to hike and to swim. She said, of course I'm looking forward to all of those things. But that's not what I'm longing for the most. What my heart aches for is a mind that never worries. Or a tongue that never criticizes or a heart that never judges. You see, there's wisdom in her words. Over the course of her life, she's discovered the true longings of the human heart. And they go even deeper than very important things like being able to use our body. You could add to her list the longing for a heart that never again will experience grief or rejection, or how about hopelessness? That's a longing that we all have. Or the longing for a mind that is free from shame and anxiety, or a longing for a life full of purpose and joy. You see, when she answers the question that way, she's trusting in a promise that God has made. She's trusting that someday her deep longings will be fulfilled in the promise-keeping nature of God. One of those promises that she often quotes is Re Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, which is a description of all things being made new. This is what God promised. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's the promise she's holding on to, hoping her longings will be met someday in the Lord. Now, I start with that tonight because I want to bring those two ideas together. That there is a God of promise who makes promises and keeps his promises, but in keeping his promises, he meets our longings. That's where longings are met. That's where they are fulfilled in the promises of God. 
And the promises of God are not just important to understand where God has been and what he's doing or has done in the past. And it's not just important to know what he's doing in the present or in the future. They're important because they're personal. And they have to do with those inner aches of our heart. Often what no one else knows about. So tonight I want to connect those two ideas that there's a God of promise who meets our longings and this is highlighted in the Christmas story. I'd like to point out two of the Christmas promises tonight and the longings connected with them and so I'm going to use the prophet Isaiah tonight. If you don't know anything about Isaiah, he lived 700 years before Jesus and he actually said a lot about Jesus. And not only did he say a lot about Jesus, but this Jewish prophet said a lot about where Jesus would be born and how he would be born and who he would be born to. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we have one of these promises that later on God would fulfill at the first Christmas. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are all titles associated with a person that the Jews throughout their history referred to as the Messiah, an anointed, set-apart Savior. So you have to get that. An anointed, chosen by God, Savior. See, within all of the old Jewish narratives, there was this whisper that someday God would send a rescue. And so Isaiah talked about it. And it's fulfilled on the first Christmas. He also tells us in Isaiah chapter 7, great detail, about the signs of what is to come. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can you imagine being one of those Jewish scribes or just like a normal Jewish person reading that prophecy thinking, how is God going to pull that one off? That's a weird one, right? That's why Matthew, trying to write an accurate description Actually telling us what happened includes these details in his account of the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Just as Isaiah described, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is what you need to know about Joseph. He's a kind man, and even though he felt betrayed by Mary, didn't want to hurt her. It's amazing. Goes on, verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she is to give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, which means God's salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. And then verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And here it is in Isaiah chapter 7. Something that was said 700 years before, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Emmanuel. What Matthew is telling us is that these old ancient Jewish prophets, that back in that time the Jews had been waiting for, were fulfilled in a moment in the birth of Jesus. And so I want to highlight both of these promises and the longings that they meet in us. So the first is that God promised a rescue, He promised that anointed Savior. God promised a rescue and a savior was given. Now I'll just admit for myself, I rarely think about and wake up thinking I have a longing for a savior. You probably didn't wake up this morning thinking you need a rescue. It can be hard in our day-to-day -day lives to feel that level of need for anyone else. After all, we're not under attack. We're not lost, we're not trying to survive. 
Someone that's stuck out in the wilderness, lost in the wilderness. On most days, it seems like our life is under control. We work hard, we study, we plan, we stay out of trouble, we eat healthy, we exercise, we do the best we can to take care of ourselves and take care of the people around us. And because in the modern world we have so much access to power and wealth, we can actually control a lot of our lives. And what it does is it forms in us this belief that we get out of life what we put into it. And often life works that way. But not always, right? There are interruptions to that illusion that we're in control of our life. There are times in all of our lives where we become heightenedly aware that life is out of control. We live in a world that is divided, that's constantly warring against itself, that leaves people oppressed. We live in a world full of loss, meaningful things like your job or friendships or relationships. We live in a world where sickness can come suddenly and fatally and change your life or someone else's. When these things happen to us or when these things are taking place around us, we're reminded of a longing for a rescue. See, it's one of the benefits of struggle. No one wants to struggle, but in those moments, we're reminded of a longing that we do need a rescue, a rescue that leads to something safer, better, and more permanent than anything we could create on our own. But it's more than just the external things in our life that are out of control. The real problem is within. It's an insidious sickness that we all have. There are parts of all of our personalities that betray us, and that's why we're prone to addictions and things like hate and unforgiveness. And there's parts of our character that chooses ourselves. We can be selfish. We choose ourselves. That's why relationships can be difficult. Or how about the example that Joni gave us in that that opening quote? We have minds that are gripped with anxiety, or maybe it's depression. Life can be out of control. And when these things are a part of our life or they're taking place or they're on us, we're reminded all over again that we need a rescue. A rescue that leads to freedom, integrity, love, and peace that's final and complete. You know, modern people don't like thinking about what the Bible calls sin. I certainly don't, and I'm a pastor. (laughs) But sin is the thing that creates these longings. It's what leaves the hole. And we all have sin in our life. I heard sin described this way recently. Um, Sin is not choosing God, okay? It's almost that simple. It's not choosing God in his love, his relationship, his way, his truth. And the way it was illustrated was in marriage. And so I'll just use my own marriage for a moment. My wife was up here a moment ago. She was singing. She was outstanding. Love it when she sings that song. Yeah. We've been married for 20 plus years. You know what it takes to be married for 20 plus years? Lots of yeses. Like on our wedding day, we said, I do. We said, yes. But over and over again, we have to say yes. Yes to fidelity, yes to faithfulness, yes to love, yes to intimacy, yes to forgiveness, yes to four little boys that are running around. We, we, won't, we won't make it another 20 years unless we continue to say yes. This is what happens with sin. There is a God that is always saying yes to us, but we stop saying yes to him at times. And the consequences of sin are devastating. I mean, all those longings come from the consequences of sin in this world. And it doesn't matter how much money you can earn or how well you perform or how educated you can get. Everyone is touched by the devastating effects of sin. And that is why God promised to rescue and that's why God sent a savior. 
So it's hard to do one of the most important things in your life. It's hard to humble yourself enough to say to Jesus, I need you. It's a hard thing to do. Because it means you can't do it on your own. It means that you trust that he's in control when you know that you're not, but it's one of the best things that you can ever do because only in Jesus do we find true salvation. His death was payment, final payment for our debt. It reconciled all that was lost and everything that was owed. Only in Jesus can forgiveness free you from the shame from the past. Only in Jesus and his resurrection can we experience new life at every level. I mean, nothing is ever hopeless because of the resurrection. And what the resurrection does is it breaks the power of sin and death in our life. None of those things are final. God knew that we needed a rescue, so he sent a savior. But God also knew that we needed himself. What Matthew is saying here is that Jesus is not just here to be known by his mother and his father and then eventually his his brothers and sisters. He had lots of them. And it's not just those that were lucky enough to be in close proximity to Jesus those 33 years that he lived that are able to know him. You see, God is saying something new is happening. God himself, Jesus himself, is drawing close to people everywhere. And that changes things. When you realize that what God is after is relationship, loving union, friendship, whatever uh, description or metaphor that you want to use, it's a picture of Emmanuel, God with us. I know there are people in this room this evening that you experienced his presence as we worshiped. We're told that he dwells in the praises of his people. There's something special about when God's people get together and worship. We're told today that in America, more people wake up in the morning and say some form of a prayer than those that don't. Often when people pray, guess what? They hear him. They notice him. Because God shows up in prayer. There are ways to experience God. But here's what I want to point out tonight. One of the most common ways that we experience a God that is with us is actually in our longings, the very reason he had to send a Savior. There's something about the longing that comes with loneliness and despair that has us looking for more and we're open to a God that's always been close to us to experience his hope and his love. There's a longing that comes from the fear and anxiety that grips so many people's life that opens us up to the good news of God's peace. There's something about the longing that comes from grief that allows us to look for a comforting friend. And there's something about the longing that comes from shame that allows us to hear the message of forgiveness. You see, these things go together, these promises go together, God with us and the Savior, because it's in our longings, the longings for that Savior, that we notice a God that is present. And I'll tell you what, I need a savior that knows my name. Every day, I need him to know my name. And I need to know his name. And so that's why the promises of God that are fulfilled at Christmas are so life-changing if you allow them to be. And it's important for us to understand that God keeps his promises. You can trust him. So these promises that we see fulfilled here, these are just a couple, but I'll mention a few more. There are many others. If you just go into the Christmas story, there was a promise made in the Old Testament hundreds of years before that Jesus, hundreds of years before, that Jesus would be born in this particular town called Bethlehem, and he was. You heard that in the reading tonight. That he'd be born to the family of David, and he was. That after his birth, that he would have to flee to Egypt, which he had to. Later in his life, the scriptures tell us in the Old Testament that he would be called a king, that he'd be sent to the poor, and he would praise children. Guess what happened? All of those things were true because God keeps his promises. We're told that he'd be crucified next to criminals. 
And guess what? He was next to two of them. Just as the Old Testament prophets and prophecies had said, we're told that his hands and his feet and his side would be pierced, and Jesus suffered all of those wounds. All promises that God has kept, which is important, because there are promises that you are waiting for God still to keep. And how do you trust him? But from his past and his record. See, there are more than 300 Old Testament. So that's the old Hebrew Jewish Bible, if you're not familiar with it, the oldest part of the Bible. There are over 300 Old Testament references to Jesus, all of which promises that are completed and fulfilled in him. The circumstances of his birthplace, his lineage, the method of his execution, they're in such great detail and they're everywhere. And over the years, I've read uh, different versions of this type of study, but there have been different mathematicians who have tried to calculate the statistical probability of all of these prophecies being true in one person, okay? So listen to what a few smart guys put together. The chance of just eight of these 300 prophecies taking place, they say, is one in 10 to the 17th power. Just eight of them taking place in one life. One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, you may not know what that means, but here's a picture of that. It's the equivalent of taking enough silver dollars to cover the entire face of Texas, two feet deep. But one of those silver dollars is marked as the right one. Then you blindfold someone and you set them loose and say, find the one. They get one chance. That's the probability of just eight of these prophecies spanning this, you know, taking place over the span of hundreds of years of actually taking place. You see, God keeps his word. Let me show you a picture that illustrates this promise-keeping God that we are here to celebrate tonight. Some of you have seen this before. It's fun to show at Christmas. I'll tell you what you're looking at is you are looking at a timeline of the Bible from left to right, all 66 books of the Bible, written by different authors, on three different continents over the span of about 2,000 years. On the far left is the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. On the far right is the book of Revelation. And the Jesus stories take place somewhere over here on close to the far right. It's towards the end. Those vertical lines at the bottom represent different chapters in the Bible. And that long line right in the middle is Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all of the Bible. Now, each of those colored arching lines represents a cross-reference One of 65,000 cross-references, a connection in details, meaning, and content between things that were said long ago and things that were completed or will be completed in the future. Some of those references span 2,000 years. 300 of those, as we said earlier, have to do with Jesus. And a few of those lines, like the passage in Revelation or those passages in Isaiah we read tonight, those lines are reflected up there as well. Professor Jordan Peterson has called the Bible the first hyperlinked book in history. It's almost like the person that put it together knew the end from the beginning. Now, I'm not trying to convince you to believe the Bible tonight, but I just want you to consider whether or not there is a God in your life that can make promises and keep them. Let me show you another picture that's like that one. This could be a picture of every one of our lives. Your life right now is a result of some of the promises that God has made and has kept. But there are other promises that God is fulfilling to you right now and he will in the future. And what God wants to do is God wants to create a history with you. 
He wants you to see that he's always been present in your life, that there's never been a day that he hasn't looked at you and smiled and moved towards you. There's never been a promise that he shared with you that he was not willing to keep, and he's gone to great lengths to do so. God wants to build a history with every one of us. Let me show you another promise that's in the scriptures. This happens towards the very end of that that first picture we show. This is Revelation chapter three. This is Jesus speaking. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So Jesus is using the metaphor of a meal, but here's what he's saying. He's offering us invitation. He's offering us an invitation into relationship, into knowing God, not just knowing about God, into knowing the Savior, into knowing Emmanuel. So here's what I want to say tonight as I begin to just wrap up. You know, you can look at all the Christmas prophecies and say, well, that's a great big coincidence. It could have happened. It's probably unlikely that someone put the whole plan together. You can try to separate yourself from the meaning, but the best way to be convinced that the story is true is to actually speak to him and let him validate the story himself. You see, there is a living God that's still present in the world today, and Jesus validates every one of his messages, including the old promises that he's made and the new promises that he's making. Faith is the door that opens us up to this relationship of knowing God. Another way to say it is faith allows us to see the things and know the things that we can't observe with our other senses. It's like a sense that allows us to know things. I think it's amazing that the disciples, Jesus' best friends, they didn't know everything about him by watching him, following him, listening to him. There were certain things that they could only know through faith. I mean, it's amazing. Faith is a sense that allows you to see what is right in front of you. I love this quote. It's from a fourth century North African Berber because people have been finding faith in Jesus for a very long time. Many of you know of this Berber as St. Augustine. It says this, there is a reality that can only be seen by the heart alone. That is true. How are you convinced of the Christmas promises, the promises of the future, the promises that God wants to take you somewhere that end all the crying and shame and pain, promises that you can be with him, well, through faith, and the heart will tell you. More recent years, Robert Louis Wilkin, a professor of Christian history at the University of Virginia, said this, faith throws open the door that leads to the knowledge of God. Some of you right now are saying, I don't know how to believe it. And I, you know, actually, I, pre- I appreciate your questions and doubt because there are a lot of false promises being thrown around today. We should be careful who we trust. And there's a lot at stake in these promises, But if you want validation, it's not going to come in the how or the what or the when. It's going to come through the who. It's going to come from opening your heart and having some faith and and testing God and listening and taking time to hear from him. And what he will do, the God that is with you, he will begin to speak in the midst of your longings and validate the whole thing. Your questions are answered in him. Your longings are met in him. And so tonight, I just want to encourage you to get more from God. There are longings that he wants to meet. Faith is the door that allows us to experience him in such a way that he can meet those longings. So I don't know what it is that you're longing for tonight, but he does. And there's never been a more generous person. Jesus wants to pour out new life into your life. And I wanna encourage you to let the promises of God and your own longings shape your future.
Worship team, you guys can come out. And I want to close with um, a verse from a song that we just sang. So a few moments ago, we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It's an old hymn written by Charles Wesley in 1744. You can see the words behind me, but it sums up tonight's message. It sums up, I believe, the message of Christmas. This is what Wesley said. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of nation, joy of every longing heart. That's what God wants to share with you tonight. Joy in the midst of your longings. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight. We marvel at uh, just the way that you wrote this story. I pray that we would not pass by the meaning of Christmas, that it is a deeply personal, life-changing moment for us. It's not just a moment in history, it's a moment in our history. And Father, I pray that we could bring to you the longings that we have, and as our hearts are open, that we would see Jesus, that we would hear Jesus, we would sense Jesus, whether it's the gentle whisper, or his calming presence, or courage, or wisdom, whatever it is, the different ways that he comes, I pray that we could see that there is a God with us, and we would allow that to validate the story. Thank you for a savior. Thank you for Emmanuel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.